I love what Robin said at the end of that video. There is something that God has for us on the other side of this. I know that for me, I've got uh, answers to those questions, and I know that for many of you, you could share your own story in, as well as to how God has been at work over this last season shaping you. And it hasn't been easy, but it is good. I was thinking the other day, so uh, the, the, to my recollection, it was the last Sunday in February, so like 12 months ago, like today, that we had our entire church family, uh, hundreds of us, out on the lawn for an all-church uh, communion service. We had uh, bread at the center of the table, and we were shoulder to shoulder, and we all touched the same food. Remember that? <laughs> my, how things have changed. And at that service, at our outdoor community service that we had 12 months ago, we gave thanks to God for his many provision and blessing, but we also were praying for our future as a church family. What did God have in store for us? And, and in that season, we, were, we had just recently, uh, uh, just a few months prior, kicked off our Build 100 vision in which we, we believed that God was shaping us as a people to build a legacy of blessing here in North Phoenix. So we talked about raising up leaders and providing safe homes for our neighbors through Habitat for Humanity, and even providing more multi-purpose space here on our campus. Uh, and we had just recently, like literally, like right in that space, raised enough funds through your generosity to, to build the elevator on our two-story kids building. And we, we were right about to uh, get uh, enough of the funds together for the Habitat for Humanity project to that, get, that, get that going. And so it was a season of momentum. It was a season where I was like, yeah, we're going and we're, we're firing on all cylinders and, and we're doing this communion service. And then two weeks later, Rona. And our lives, at least my life, changed substantially. Any of you guys have that same experience? And so I look back and I look over the last 12 months and I think, okay, so God has been doing uh, something. And, and, and frankly, as I think about the time between here and then, uh, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of loss and there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of anger. Um, and actually, that was just between now and breakfast for me, much less the last 12 months. And it's right to lament the pain. It's right to lament the loss, the discouragement, the frustration, the disappointment, and the sadness. And we've spent some time doing that and multiple times over this last year and even just this last sermon series. But it's also good. It's, it's also good to recognize the loss and the pain. It's also right for us to recognize the good that God has been doing in our midst over these last 12 months. God has not been asleep over the last 12 months. Since February, God has not been waiting around until this pandemic ends so he can, you know, boot back up online and work in our lives. See, God has been at work this entire time, even if we haven't seen it or recognize it. You see, for me, it's so easy to focus on the pain and the frustrations. It's so easy for me to focus on, on that which is broken and that which I don't like that I can oftentimes forget and miss or become blinded to what God has been doing in our community, in our church family, in our families, and in our own individual lives. And so what we're going to do during this this next few weeks in this sermon series called Taking Shape 
we're going to look at how it is that God has been shaping us as individuals and also as a church family. And we're going to enter into a season of expectation for what God has for us in the future. You know, this space that we're in right now, we're not, we're not where we were a year ago, but we're also, it just doesn't feel like this whole process is over, does it? Like, we're not kind of like home yet. It's, it, things haven't settled down yet. We haven't kind of like finished the process. And so we're in this middle weird space, and we're recognizing what God's been up to and even what he continues to do. And so we're going to shift to a season of anticipation, looking forward to what God has for us. And by the way, you know that anticipation for what God's going to do, that that's an act of faith, don't you? That as we look back on God fulfilling his promises and we look forward expecting him to work according to his character, we, we anticipate that he's going to continue to move. And so in this season of anticipation, it's good for us to look inwardly and to look within our church family and see how it is that he is shaping us. You see, uh, Actually, um, I think you guys kind of like know this, but let me just ask you a question. Have you ever thought of yourself as clay? Now, I know some people are named clay or Clayton, and I don't mean that. I mean like that like mud thing that they make pottery out of. You guys know what I'm talking about. Clay. Have you ever thought about your life or your own self as clay? You see, there's this uh, image consistently used in Scripture that we are people who are clay. And what I mean by that is that we are being shaped, just like you take the raw elements of the clay and the potter takes the clay and then pushes into it and molds it or even spins it on the wheel and, and maneuvers and shapes and removes some things and shapes other things. You and I are like clay and we are all being shaped by some potter. We all give ourselves over to someone or something or some ideal and say, shape me. And we conform to the image of our potter. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this, but there are a lot of people right now who would like to shape you into their image. Are you familiar with the concept? Usually to make them money or give them power. And yet, there is one potter who shapes us only for our good. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says this. This is verse uh, 8. Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay. You are our potter, and we all are the work of your hands. Have you ever thought about yourself as clay? You see, God is shaping us. And God often uses difficult seasons like the one we're experiencing now to shape us and to prepare us for what he has in store for our future. I want to ask you this question and have you consider it for the duration of this sermon series. How is God shaping you? How is God shaping you? As you think about the last 12 months, as you think about even this moment right now, how is God shaping you? you. What we're going to do during this series is we're going to look at the book of Exodus, a time where God used difficult circumstances to shape his people. They're called the Israelites, to shape Israel from what they were to what he called them to become so that they could pursue the mission 
that he had for them. They were not yet ready in their present state for the mission that he was calling them to. And so God, through the, the story of Exodus, shapes his people. The book of Exodus is the origin story for the nation or the people group of Israel, which you'll read about through the majority of the scriptures. And in this text, we will see difficult circumstances. We'll see uncertainty, fear, frustration, disappointment, sadness, and anger. And we will see God's shaping hand through the whole thing. And perhaps as we study this text, we might learn and come to discover how it is that he's shaping us in the process. So my encouragement to you would be to ask yourself this question. How is God shaping me? How has he been at work in my life? forming me into what he is calling me to become. So uh, Exodus kind of starts, uh, it's right after the first book of the Bible. First book of the Bible is called Genesis, which talks about kind of the creation of all the things, the creation of the cosmos, the creation of humanity. And then there's this moment where people turn their backs on their creator God and go their own way. This act of cosmic rebellion, it's usually referred to as the fall. And you see that God, instead of just destroying all of humanity, devises a way to redeem and restore rebellious humanity. Because humanity, the Bible says, everyone sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That everyone has turned back their backs on God, gone their own way. And so God, in his mercy and grace, uh, has a plan to restore and redeem re his rebellious creation. Instead of just destroying them, he says, I'm going to change them. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to redeem them. And so uh, you, uh, you see in the middle of the book of Genesis that God has this plan where he puts together, he calls this dude named Abraham, uh, and he says, out of you, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you, you and your family line into a nation, which is going from like, you know, a family to a tribe to a nation. And he says, through your people, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so in Genesis, you get the story of Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob, who his name, he's also called Israel. And then Jacob has a bunch of sons. And one of those sons, his name is Joseph. And at the end of Genesis, you see that Joseph gets taken into slavery and sent to a place called Egypt. And Egypt is like the military political power of the day. I mean, there was, at the best we know is there's no one in the region stronger than Egypt. And then you find that uh, there is a famine in the land. At the end of Genesis, you see that God's people, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, their children, who are supposed to become a great nation, they can't find any food. And so what do you do when you can't find any food in your land? What do you go out in search of? Food, right? Okay, not much different than today. So you go out and they go out and search for food. And lo and behold, in Egypt, because of God's work in Joseph's life, which you can read about in the end of Genesis, God uses Joseph uh, and gives him wisdom. And then in Egypt, during seven years of plenty, they stored a bunch of extra grain and food. And so in this seven-year famine, they've got a bunch of food, right? And so uh, the, the family comes into Egypt, Abraham's family. So the Israelites come into Egypt. And that's where we're going to pick up the story as Exodus begins. A new king who did, this is Exodus 1, 8 and on. A new king who did not know about Joseph. Remember what Joseph did? Joseph made sure that Egypt had enough food, right? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right? It's a good thing. A lot of us right now are thinking about lunch. Depending on your interactive uh, nature today, 
This could become a 90-minute sermon. Just say it. <laughs> a new king who did not know about whom? Joseph. Uh-oh, you guys sense the tension already? Because Joseph did a good thing, and then here's all of his family, the Israelites, living in Egypt. But then the plot thickens. Came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we. And everyone said, uh-oh. You guys see what's coming here. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now, TV time out. Spoiler alert. You're never going to guess what happens at the end of this part of the story. The middle of Exodus, you're never going to guess what happens to the Israelites. They leave Egypt. Hence the name of the book, Exodus. You guys are tracking. Thank you, Richard. Okay, let's keep going. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over them, to, over the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor. Uh-oh. Uh they built Pithom and Ramses. You guys know where that is. And supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more, oh, I love this. The more they oppressed them, the more the political and military power structures of the day oppressed the people of Israel, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. How now do the Egyptians feel about the Israelites? They feel what? Dread. They're afraid of Israel because they're afraid that this people that God is blessing will not be a blessing to them. You see it? And so they deal shrewdly. Now, one of the things I want you to see here, and I know, that, I mean, this is, okay, check this out. Um, do you notice that God has promised to make Israel prosper? That God promised to Abraham that he would make his people into a great nation through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Remember that part of the story? Now notice, what is Pharaoh, what is the king of Egypt trying to stop? The growth of which people group? The Israelites, and I want you to see this line. I've loved this line. The more they, Egypt, the power structures of the day, the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. You cannot stop what God has in store. No matter how big your military, no matter how many people you make call you God, right? Which me and the Campbell home, that's about five. So far, we've had zero success. I'll settle for Prince. They won't do it. It's just dad right now. And I'm okay with that. My wife doesn't call me. Yeah, my wife calls me honey. <laughs> Four. Right? Pharaoh made people call him a god and worship him as a god. And yet, no matter how many people you have worshiping you as a god, no matter how big your military, no matter how much money or how much food you may have, you cannot stop what God has in store. Now, most of us don't make people call us God. And most of us don't have a big army. But for many of us, we wrestle with the inverse. We think that because we didn't do what we thought we were supposed to, because we've, because we've sinned, because we've fallen short, that therefore God cannot use us. There are many of us, because of overwhelming guilt or shame, we are kicking around right now saying, God could never use someone like me. And I just want to tell you this truth. There are no heroes in the Bible except for Jesus. Everyone that God uses in the scriptures, with the exception of Jesus, is a dumpster fire of a life. Even the most faithful people are horrible people sometimes. Because God is living and breathing in the real world that you and I inhabit, he uses 
imperfect people because there ain't no other kind. I want to tell you that God can choose and use whomever he wants, not because of your good deeds or because of your worthiness, but because of his power and grace. Let the thought never dwell in your minds that God could never use someone like me. And so you see here in the text that that God calls his people to be a blessing to all the nations. He raises up and blesses his people, and yet they experience an oppression. And then what God does is he raises up a leader named Moses. Moses uh, gets called by God. Now, check this out. And, and just, this la- uh, just yesterday and the day before, um, I was up with some of our young adult leaders for our leadership development program, and, and we, we walked through some of this text and the calling of Moses. Moses is a person uh, who's called by God in a season of uncertainty, pain, and chaos. A season where his people are enslaved. And God comes to Moses and says to Moses, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people what? Go. And you know what Moses said? Nah, bro. Imagine that God came to you and said, I want you to go to the most powerful person in the universe, except for me, who's got the biggest military, who could at the snap of their fingers end your life and your family's life. And I want you to speak truth to power and tell them to let their economic machine go. What would you say? Nah, bro. (laughs) And yet God proved faithful. Isn't this this the way that God usually works? He calls us to hard things, and then he says this, I will never leave you or forsake you, or I will be with you. You want to know what the most repeated command in Scripture is? I used to think it was something like worship God or love God or something like this. You know what the most repeated command in Scripture is? Don't be afraid. And it's usually followed with, for I am with you. God calls Moses into hard things. For some of you, God is calling you to step up into hard things, into doing difficult things. Maybe it's speaking truth to power. Maybe, maybe it's pursuing reconciliation in a relationship where the other person doesn't want to hear anything you have to say. Maybe it's stepping into a space where, where you're going to be critiqued and ridiculed and criticized because of the stand that you're making on biblical truth. And I want you to know that whatever it is that God's calling you to do, he also says, do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Jesus himself, after calling his disciples into action, into activity, into doing hard things, he says, I will be with you always. Because anyone who gets called by God to do hard things knows that they're incapable of doing it apart from the power of God. God always equips the ones that he calls. The problem is, and here's the, pro- here's the rub, you never really feel it until after it's over. Right? Walking into Pharaoh's house, you're not like, I am bold, and I'm going to march in here because God is with me. It's never like that, is it? God is faithful to equip and empower the ones that he calls. And so God raises up Moses, and then he says to Moses, okay, you, Moses, you're going to go tell Pharaoh what's up, okay? And so then God, and I know that this is going to make our ethical tummies churn. You guys have an ethical tummy, don't you? 
Like when something unethical happens, you go, Ugh. or maybe you hear about God doing something that you might think feels weird or funny or unethical. You go, how could God do that? This is going to be one of those. And because you don't want a 90 minute sermon, I'm not even going to address the tummy churn. Okay. We're just going to deal with what I'm about to say. Are you ready for that? No, I'd love to talk with you more about it. I would love to talk with you about this. I'm just going to say it and then we're going to go forward. Okay. God sends plagues to Egypt and, 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 the last plague is the death of the firstborn of every household. Not only those of Egypt, but also those of Israel. He says, I will send the destroyer or the angel of death. And when the destroyer comes, he will take the firstborn son of every household. Is your ethical tummy churning? I know mine is. But in this, you'll see God's grace on vivid display. So God says to Moses, okay, so go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, bro. He does not let the people go. And plague after plague after plague, time after time and time after time, God calls Pharaoh to repentance, to turn from his decision and to let the people go. And yet Pharaoh, his heart is hardened. And so God sends uh, the destroyer. He allows the destroyer to come in and take the life of the firstborn son of every household, except for this one provision and act of grace. God tells his people, anyone, including the Egyptians, anyone who takes a lamb, kills the lamb, and takes the blood of the lamb, and takes the blood of the lamb, and puts it over the door of their home and on the sides of the doorposts. Anyone who puts, who surrounds the entry of their home with the blood of the lamb, I will command the destroyer to pass over that house. You guys ever heard of the Jewish holiday referred to as Passover? It's an act of remembering. In fact, let's take a look at this. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, which is the top of the houses where they eat them. So what are they going to do to the lamb? They're going to kill the lamb. They're going to take the blood of the lamb. They're going to put it around the doorposts of their home. And then they're going to eat the lamb. But watch how they are commanded to eat the lamb. Here is how you must eat it. You must be uh, dressed for travel, right? Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. This is the first ancient Near East recording of fast food. <laughs> this, day, <laughs> this day is to be a, what's the word? Come on now, it's going to be a 90-minute service. You don't cheer her up. This day is going to be a... Memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. Do you, don't you love when God commands you to have a party? I'm convinced that the evangelical Christian community has lost the art of the good party. God commands his people to have an annual celebration, and it's to serve as a memorial. A memorial for what? A memorial of the time that God, in his grace, passed over. A, God, a, a moment in time where God was using difficult circumstances to shape his people. I want you to see Exodus is the origin story of God's people. God could have started the story of his people any way he wanted, and it starts with slavery and redemption. And so the angel of death or the destroyer passes over the house, and they are to remember that moment, that shaping moment 
year after year after year, as long as there are generations. Do you see it? And so here's my question for you. What will you remember? What will you choose to remember about what God has been up to this season of difficulty? You see, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to focus on the negative things and the pain. And yet God has been at work shaping us. What will you remember? I wrote down a list over the last few weeks in preparation for this uh, series I've just been trying to think through because I, I don't want to get into wherever we're going and forget what God has been up to in this season. I don't want to forget. So I've been writing it down. Some of the ones that I wrote down. Uh, first of all, I am so proud of our team. I mean, leading through one of the, I mean, this has been the worst year of my vocation. It's been, and for, for most of you as well. The, the amount of decisions that our team had to face the amount of weeping and prayer for you as, a, as their church family, our, our team, our staff, I, I loved working with them uh, most of the time. Because no matter what, throughout this entire thing, you know what question that they ask each week? How have we seen God at work? It's the question we started our week with. And our team has done an amazing job ministering to in innovative ways, praying for, loving on you, and and reminding me that God didn't stop his work on March 13th. And we've seen God at work. We, we have met people who, because of the shutdown or because of pivoting to online streaming services or because of all the craziness going on throughout this year, whether it's politics, racism, and the fact that we had like a thousand days over a thousand degrees. Do you guys remember that? Take no solace, it's coming again soon. We all chose to live here, that's all I'm going to say, right? Because of those difficult circumstances, they started checking out Desert Springs. Some of the people that I've been praying for years, I remember on Easter, uh, a person who uh, lives next to us, I've been praying for them. They might even be watching right now. Hi, neighbor. I've been praying for them. And it was, it was no, it was the week before. It was Palm Sunday. And he said, hey, Caleb, I was joining you guys on Sunday. We'll see you on Easter. And yeah, I don't think that, I did not imagine that was going to happen. Many of you have told me that you've been praying for people upwards of a decade and because of the shifts that happened in this last year, they started checking out who Jesus is. In fact, I know a few people who are going to be baptized in the weeks to come who met Jesus during a global pandemic. Is God not at work even when things are difficult? Uh, moreover, I, and I am so proud of this church family, I know it has been so, so, so difficult to have healthy and Jesus-centered conversations around contentious issues. But because of your grace, your long-suffering, your compassion, and your willingness, church family, to step into uncomfortable conversations and to bring Jesus into those broken relationships and those broken spaces, I have had multiple people Say things like this. In fact, somebody told me just last week, I was this close to giving up on church because none of the churches that I had participated with would talk about the things my family was talking about. But because of you stepping up and talking about hard things, and I know it's so difficult, but stepping up and bringing Jesus into conversations around sexism, ageism, racism, and all the other isms, We've seen God at work in shaping lives. I had somebody tell me just recently, I think it was three weeks ago, 
They said, I used to hide away from talking about sexual assault in my life because it was a, it was a chamber of shame that I didn't want anybody to talk through. But it was in this season because of the grace of God and the graciousness of this church family and their willingness to say it publicly. And this person was saying to me, you know, I, I got enough courage to step into that conversation and begin to allow Jesus and even fellow believers into that space. And I'm finding healing there. And so God has been at work even in the midst of this difficult season. The list goes on and on and on. But again, you guys are averse to a 90-minute sermon. We are in a season where we are not yet where God has, uh, what, what he has in store for us, but we're also not where we used to be. And I want to caution you in something. Um, I, I've said it myself. I think I, I'm hearing many people say it. I can't wait till things get back to normal. You guys heard that? I, I mean, maybe you've said it. I don't mean to slam anybody. I say it myself too. I wish I, I I've actually haven't felt normal since junior high. So I've just been waiting <laughs> for normalcy. We say, I can't wait for things to get back to normal, but I want to just ask you this question. What if normal is slavery in Egypt? And what God has in store for us is his future promises. Was 2019 still so, was it just so amazing that you can't wait to get back to it? Like I was alive in 2019. I know what it was like. I don't want to go back. I want to go forward to what God has for us. And in order to be the kind of people that God's shaping, calling us to be, he's using this season to shape us. And isn't it uncomfortable to be shaped? C.S. Lewis has this great idea that when God takes the rock and starts to chisel away, creating us into the form that he desires us to be, don't we find the chiseling uncomfortable? Don't you find as clay the pressure and the pain and even the loss to be painful, and yet it is the shaping hand of the potter. God takes us through liminal space. Are you guys familiar with liminal space? Good. I'm going to explain it to you right now. You've all experienced it. You've experienced it a thousand times. You've experienced it at least a dozen times today. Liminal space is the in-between. Liminal space, if you were to approach a door, have you guys ever walked through a door before? common experience? Talk to me here. You guys, you guys rode here on your, you walked here and then I don't even know how you get, yeah, you walk through a door to get in this building. When you walk through a door, right, you're inside and if you're going to go outside or into the other room, you're going to go from one space to the other, but in this in-between space, where am I? Am I inside or outside? Yes. Is this a comfortable place to be in? Is this a restful place? Is this a place that I'm designed to stay in for a long time? No, but it's required for me to go through this liminous space in order to go where God is calling me. I've got to cross the threshold, but there's a moment where I've got one foot behind me and one foot in front of me, and I'm in liminal space. And it's in that uncomfortable liminal space that God does his shaping work. Carmen Iams, who's a brilliant writer and professor, she wrote a book called Bearing God's Name, talking about the Exodus. And this is what she says. 
The wilderness journey from Egypt to Canaan is liminal space, far more than just a place to pass through. I love this. It is the workshop of Israel's becoming. The desert, the liminal space, is the workshop of Israel's becoming. Do you see it? The wilderness is their temporary destination that makes them who they are. Liminal places always do this. They always change us. Have you ever experienced liminal space in your life? As we think about this last year, I would encourage you to think of 2020 as a liminal space, a place where God intentionally worked to take us from where we were And then in a relatively short period of time, powerfully shaped us and changed us and prepared us for what he has to come. To put it another way, perhaps we could think about this last year as God's workshop of our becoming. What is God shaping in your life? How is God using this season to change you? In this this liminal space, How do you see God at work? Or to ask it another way, how is God shaping you? This season that we're in, it's not easy. And while we can have a hope-filled anticipation for the future, not content with going back to where we were, but rather looking forward to what God has for us here in this moment, not totally grasping what God has in store for us, we can recognize his goodness and his grace. And so what we're going to do here in this moment is I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to listen to a song. It's a song that I listened to multiple times a day last March and April. Just, and I, and I don't mean to, this is my thinking at the time, and this continues to be my thinking now. I remember being on the phone or or talking to people who had experience in Italy and New York. We have family in Italy and New York, and they were experiencing the pandemic before we were. There were people lined up in the hospitals. There was a large amount of death. And I remember in the middle of March, preparing for Easter and rereading the story of the celebration of the Passover. My prayer in that season was, Lord, let this pass over us. And I don't know if it was melodramatic or not, but I was thinking of you. And I was thinking about the funerals. And I was thinking about the hospital visits. And I was thinking about my family. And I was thinking about my community. And I was desperately praying, Lord, would you let this pass over us? Don't let your mercy fall by the wayside in my city. Would you protect us and keep us? Would you be with us? But... And again, in preparation for Good Friday, not what my will, but yours be done. And this song ministered to me in a powerful way. It was a constant reminder that God uses difficult seasons and liminal spaces to shape us into what he's calling us to become. So we're going to share this song with you here in a moment, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to take communion together, an act that was instated the night that Jesus was betrayed when he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. So let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, we are in this moment, in this liminal space, not being where we used to be in our comfort, in our quote-unquote normalcy. You've brought us into this season of disruption, this season of confusion, this season of pain and loss. And Lord, you're not going to leave us here. Rather, you are calling us to something greater. And so we anticipate that day. And yet, Lord, in the meantime, in this liminal space, this desert wandering, this workshop of our becoming, we ask that you would comfort our hearts, that you would give to each of us wisdom and vision for what it is that you're calling us to do moment by moment. That we, like Moses, when you called him to do hard things, when you call us to do hard things, Lord, that we would step in faith, recognizing that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus, we rest on your mercy and your grace, that you are the true lamb who was slain and under whose blood we find life and life abundant. You promise, Lord, that you will Always be with us, even unto death and into the mighty resurrection by your power. And so we give ourselves to you, knowing that you love us and you're powerful to bring these things about, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh
and only sacrifice atoned for the sins of the land. So you see the priest he placed upon the holy altar, a body of a spotless lamb. And he prayed, Lord, let your judgments that Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated Passover with his disciples, and he instated communion or Eucharist or Lord's table, depending on your tradition. So if you're joining us at home, would you please take of the elements, uh, bread, juice, or wine, or whatever you have that would signify the body and blood of Christ. For those in the room, in the back of the seat in front of you are the elements. If you would take those and please take off the top the bread. Hold it in your hand, and then if you would open the juice and prepare that now. Jesus, in his final moments with his disciples, celebrated this act of remembrance, the Passover, the time where God, because of his grace and mercy, in an act of grace, passed over all of those who were under the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus in his crucifixion and death, became the lamb for all. And for every, anyone and everyone who turns from their sin and turns to him, an act called repentance, he says yes to. And he saves and redeems and restores. And when we take communion, it's a reminder, an act of remembering of his body broken for us and his blood shed. And on that night, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? And he also took a cup and he said, this is my blood 
just poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Just take and drink in remembrance of him. Join me as we pray. Lord, you are still at work. And in this moment, in this act of remembering, would you place on our hearts a sense of how it is that you are shaping us? In this season of uncertainty, Lord, we turn to you knowing that you are certain, you are sure, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And you've called us to be a people who live that good news moment by moment and day by day. And as difficult as it is, even for me to pray this right now, we give you thanks for the shaping. Even though it's often painful. We know that you're at work. We cling to you, Jesus. Would you be praised from now and forevermore as we strive to live as your people? Amen.